catching images of what they believe are ghosts on surveillance cameras. of the infamous Salem witch hangings. Many indigenous, many sex workers. Hello, and welcome to Six Sad World. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Mari. So, today I would like to start off with this episode by saying that when I first suggested this to Mari that we should do this topic, it was brought up upon by the fact that my Facebook newsfeed was like totally littered and flooded with like articles about this Canadian writer who was also a murderer. Um, and just for a moment, I couldn't believe it. For some reason, I was like, oh, that's not real. That's fiction. That sort of stuff only happens in, like, like novels, like, mainly Stephen King novels, <laughs> since most of his protagonists are usually writers. Um, <laughs> okay, a lot of writers do that, though. A lot of books are about writers. I don't read a lot of books about writers, though. <laughs> I feel like I do. That's the thing, I don't. <laughs> Except for Stephen King, because he seems to write a lot about writers. Anyway. My way you know, Jasmine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Apologize. I'm kidding. Um, I'm apologizing to the <laughs> listeners. Anyway, after that like momentary like disbelief, um, I was like, wait, no, that totally makes sense. Like for writers to be murderers, because anyone can be a murderer. It's just like a like a really random moment I had. Anyway, I also thought it was kind of like important to mention because like both Mari and I are like artists, but Mari particularly is a writer. So. I am. I'd like to assure you that Mari is not a murderer, just <laughs> prefacing. I mean, I could be. <laughs> what do we say at the end of our podcast? <laughs> I could be a hypocrite. <laughs> don't. I'm not a murderer. Don't, don't Calm make down, it a hypocrite. Everyone. <laughs> not trying to murder anybody. Hopefully. Anyway, so, um, as if you couldn't tell by now, this podcast episode is going to be about crime done, committed, crime committed, murders committed by writers. Um... And so I'd like to do some content warning, obviously murder and um, domestic abuse and violence and also um, any sort of, it's pretty gruesome what happened, at least in my cases. I don't know about yours. Um, So as always, if there's anything that you, I'll try to like warn you before something really, really sort of uncomfortable might come up just wanted to get that out there. So this is the person. Also, I like to add that I did two people because once again, I'm on poo brain and I thought Mari's stories were two different people while they're just one person with two different names, but it's fine. It's all good. (laughs) We'll make it work. Um, so this person is, um, Blake label, uh, Blake Label is what started this for me. He was the main person who I was seeing on my news feed, and that was just this year because it's a fairly recent-ish um, case. So that's sort of... I was like, oh, I gotta save that on my Facebook, and I forgot about it for, like, a while. Um, so Blake Label is Canadian. He was born in May 8th, 1981, so he's middle-aged in Toronto, Ontario. Good going. Like bad representation. So he's the son and grandson of Olympic athletes. Um, Both his mom and his grandfather were in the Olympics. His father was a wealthy real estate mogul. His aunt, a prominent Canadian journalist, Terry Label. So he comes from like a pretty prominent family of just like important people, I guess. Um, Born into wealth. 
did pretty well throughout his life. Didn't really have much to complain about. There's not a whole lot on his backstory that I could find about, like, how he grew up and, like, what happened to him and why did he turn out the way he was. It's basically he was just born with a silver spoon in his mouth and that's that's the main information, which is really... Kind of pisses me off a little bit. I mean, it's kind of what you expect, though. Or at least I do. Yeah. Like, but maybe, like, I've just been doing this too long. (laughs) You're like, oh, that makes sense. So he eventually moved to Hollywood. Um, He worked in comic books, graphic novels. Um, He did screenwriting and even directed a small animated film. I don't know what film it was. I wasn't interested in, in finding out what it was. I don't care what he did. Um, not because I don't like, like, animation, but because he's a shitty person. Um, so yeah, uh, this is sort of the meat of things. Uh, so he met, uh, Iana Cassian. Um, she was his fiance and the mother of their newborn baby. Um, who's, I believe was, uh, I could be wrong, six months old, I believe at the time. Um, she was 30 years old and she was from Ukraine. So she's Ukrainian. Um, and she worked initially as a tax office prosecutor. Um, and then she had just started modeling, uh, shortly before, um, if you hadn't guessed, her death. So on May 26, 2016, um, Blake Label had locked himself in his West Hollywood apartment. Um, I, I, I don't know how that came about. Because once again, deta- details about this, which is kind of odd considering how recent this is. I feel like there should be more details. Um, but he locked himself in his apartment. Um, Yana was discovered. I'm going to say now, from here on out, things are maybe a little bit harder to... Stomach, so I'm just letting you guys know. Um, so she was discovered on their blood-soaked bed um, by the police, and Blake surrendered immediately. Um, the scene of the crime was extremely graphic. Um, the pathologist who looked at their case during the, the court trials um, said the scene and what Blake had done to Iana um, was sort of unusual for normal, normal murder cases, it was almost reminiscent of, like, a war zone and, like, sort of, like, what people, what happens to people in war. Um, and this is why, uh, when they did the, uh, autopsy, her right ear had been torn off. Oh, God. Um, most of her scalp had been torn off. Like, torn off? Yeah. Like, from front to, basically, the nape of her neck. Ugh. And, um, the right side of her face had been torn off. Um, she had been, uh, many bruises and abrasions on her body and even a bite mark on her. So, um, he really, really went out of his way to mutilate her body and disrespect her body in, like, the most heinous ways that he could possibly do it. Um. you like, that's so... Like, to tear the skin off? Like, that's... Yeah, so that's why they That's why the pathologist was like, this is one of the most sort of wild 
things I've seen like a person do to another person outside the context of war. Like this is, I don't, I've never, it, I've never seen this. Whoa. Um, and what was really sad, uh, was she had likely still been alive for a couple of hours after oh, being God. scalped. This is horrible. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really sad to not only be murdered by someone who, you know, supposed to be, because they're, they're supposed to get married. They're, they're engaged, right? Someone you're supposed to kind of spend your forever with, I guess. And then they attack you and you're alive through some of the most excruciating pain that a person could probably ever experience. Forgot what it was like to do these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So, we're recording this on the same day as our Halloween episode, which is, like, really fun and happy. And pretty chill. I was having a really good time. Yeah. And, um, wow, that was a total buzzkill. Thanks, Jasmine. You're welcome. (laughs) I mean, this is about murder, so. Yeah. This whole episode's about murder. Yeah. So, um, luckily, Blake, uh, he, not luckily, unfortunately, sorry, English, uh, he pleaded not guilty, and so when they, um, when the verdict came in, obviously he got no chance of parole and a lifetime sentence, because you, you did something absolutely horrendous to this woman. Like, and then you said not guilty. Yeah, and then you said, I didn't do it, but you it surrendered. It wasn't me. Like, it was, like. Like, you barricaded yourself in your apartment, surrendered yourself to the police, and then you're like, oh, by the way, it wasn't me. Yeah, just on the off chance, you might get off on a technicality. Like, it's... is BS. Um, <laughs> Ayana's mother flew in from the Ukraine um, to uh, to attend the trial. She was advised not to because of the um, sheer... how gruesome the, the, the murder actually was. Um, and she sat through it through them showing the pictures of the autopsy and hearing as to how everything went about while someone was translating it to Ukrainian in her ear. And after going through all that, she left the courtroom, which is understandable because two... I think we mentioned this before, but neither Mari nor I are, are parents whatsoever. And to have to... Choosing to sit through, to hear, not only hear, but also see all the things that happened to your child. And especially when it's something that disgusting. Like, yeah. it's not even just like... Like, he killed her in a crime of passion or whatever. Like, he... He tortured her. Yeah. She was alive. She was alive for some of it, yeah. You would not... You would not want to know that your child felt excruciating pain yeah. before they died. You don't want to sit there and listen to that and be reminded of that. Like, it's already going... Like, just knowing what happened... In the vaguest terms, yeah, is already awful. But like to have that confirmed and then go 
like gone into in detail because that's what they do in in a trial. I don't think I could have if they if I was presented with the option like she was to sit through it. I don't think I could have been able to do that. I really don't think I could. No, I think I would throw up. Yeah. I think, like, I would sob so hard I would just vomit everywhere. Yeah. So, it's hard for me to try to understand what her mother was trying to get from sitting through it all. Maybe a sense of finality or to really see what kind of person her daughter was going to marry to understand how heinous he was like I don't I'm not 100% sure but I just know I'm I couldn't I couldn't I don't think I could no. and it's 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 really really sad that's what I because yet like yeah I don't know I just have like something where it's like seeing other people grieving even if I haven't experienced that kind of pain it's just so painful for me as well to see them experience that pain yeah because it's like a kind of pain no one should have to go through it's like it's unimaginable and no one should have to go through it but they are and you can't take it away and there's nothing anybody can do about it and I think that's the hardest part is like that pain is never going to be fixed. Yeah. You can't really move on from that. I mean, like, the loss of a child in, you know, from an accident, like, ruins marriages. Yeah. And, like, sends people into depression and, you know, like, like the kind of, like, chronic depression. Yeah. Like, and, you know, like... It, it tears apart parents from their living children, even. It's a very traumatic like thing to go through. And so, like, when it's something that horrible happening to your child, and it being something completely preventable in the sense that he just didn't have to murder her. He didn't. He really didn't. He didn't have to take her Was daughter away. Motive? Like, did they? Not really. He just kind of did it. And I was kind of, like, looking for, like, an explanation as to, like, why, like, what happened, like, was, like, they were fighting over something, and, like, like, did he just not want to be with her anymore, or or responsible for their daughter, and, like, was just trying, like, what, like, what, what was he, what was he thinking? Hmm. So, so it's sad that, you know, Yana's mother lost her daughter, and her granddaughter lost her mother. So it's very, very sad. And it's six, six, six months. You're not going to remember your parents' face. You're not going to have any of those memories. Like, like you're going to, like, you've lost both parents at that point. Yeah. Did it, did they say what happened to the, the child? Um, I didn't really look into that too much, but I'm, I, I'd like to assume that, you know, maybe their, um, the grandmother took her or some other close family member on like obviously her side of the family was able to take the child because the last thing we need is you know for that child to be lost somewhere in the system because it doesn't always end up working out so well no jeez i'm bummed out myself one more (laughs) 
my my ones are a little bit shorter. That's not the one I thought you were talking about. Because there's another one that's been in the news. Well, it might be my next one. I don't know. So my case, <laughs> um, I did, um, so the reason Jasmine thought I was doing two people was because I did um, the writer Anne Perry, who used to go by the name Juliet Holme. I don't know if that's how you say it. Because I don't look up names. I don't do it. I refuse. I actually usually try, but... Yeah, we, like, you we don't refuse. <laughs> we researched two in a row, and I was tired. Yep. And I wanted to take a nap. <laughs> but that's not the point. Okay. So, um, Anne Perry is an English author of historical detective and murder mystery fiction. Uh, she has written over 60 books... And is most well known for the Thomas Pitt and the ugh, the William Monk series. So, she's um, like a pretty well-known writer. Um, and she just writes a lot of these like detective murder mystery types. Um, however, Perry had a dark secret that would eventually come to light after her success. Mm-hmm. So, before 1954... Perry was living in New Zealand and going by her birth name, Juliet Home. At a young age, she had been diagnosed with tuberculosis and had been sent to the Caribbean from England to try to improve her health. Um, at the age of 13, she was finally reunited with her parents in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, because she was still ill, Juliet didn't attend school. Um, she did have one friend, however, a, a girl named Pauline Parker. Um, their friendship was close, like, uncomfortably close. Like, they were, um, considered inseparable. Um, Pauline was the only friend who wrote to Julia when she was in the hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, like, for treatment. Um, but in 1954... Juliet's parents announced that they were separating after her mother was caught cheating on him. Yeah. Um, her father had also recently lost his job, so um, she was to be sent to South Africa to live with some relatives there. It's really interesting the kind of moves around with this, because she's clearly a family, like... Colonialism! Yeah. <laughs> she's clearly a child of of colonials, but... Like, very well-off colonials that they're yeah. sending her to all the pla- those places. Yeah, and, like, she is a very... Like, the family is very well-to-do. Her mother's considered, like, super glamorous or yep. whatever. Um, and, like... Like, yeah, she... Like, her family is all in these colonized countries. So... Keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It's just like... It's worth noting, though. Yeah. Um, this really upset the girls, um, especially Pauline, according to Perry. And so I'm going to be using both her names throughout this, and I'm going to be referring to her as Julia as when talking about her as a kid. Yeah. And... Perry when talking about her as an adult because they are like two separate people and I want to like I'm going to get into that in a little bit more detail 
later, but, like, I do want to be kind of clear with that. Yeah. Um, so, according to Perry, um, Pauline threatened to kill herself if Juliet didn't help her with her plan. Um, Pauline had been struggling with an eating disorder, and so Juliet felt that Pauline would really go through with a suicide. I forgot to do my content warning. Okay. Um. Do you have anything else that you should... So this, this case is going to be dealing with toxic friendships, and I was going to say mentions of suicide eating disorders, mm-hmm. but I said it already. I apologize for not counting, ca- catching it, or for announcing it sooner. It's because I put it, I put the content warning above my title. Oh. Because I, like, finished writing it, and I was like, hmm, these are all the, the content warnings. Yeah. And then... I really got to start writing it in a different color. <laughs> the two had originally hoped that Pauline could go to South, to South Africa with Juliet uh, so that they could stay together. However, her mother, um, Pauline's mother, um, Honora Reaper, refused, and this angered Pauline. So, yeah, so she was like, no, you can't just go with your friend <laughs> yeah. to South Africa and live with her family. Like, yeah. No. You can't... Um, Especially because they were a working class family. Like, they weren't super rich or anything like that. So it's not like they they could afford to fly her over there. Like, it was the assumption that, like, I guess Juliet's parents would pay for it or something. Yeah. But, like, yeah. It was, like, a obvious answer. Like... No, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna send off my 16 year old kid to go live with somebody else in like a, on another continent. Like, why would you even ask that? Um, so on June 22nd, 1954, both of them convinced Honora to go on a walk with them uh, in Victoria Park. They went down a secluded path where Honora was bludgeoned to death with half a brick and a stocking. Um, they hit her more than 20 times, which was much more than they had expected. Um, I read somewhere that they thought that they could just take one swing and it would, like, basically kill her, but it didn't, and so they had to just, like, keep going. I think I've mentioned this before. I don't remember where, what show or documentary or book or whatever I got this from, but what people don't realize when they commit a murder, don't commit a murder when they're committing murder, people don't die as easily as they do in movies and TV shows. It takes a lot more force to take someone down, so I'm not surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Um, the two girls were obviously charged with murder. Um, and their trial was a national sensation, so in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, during the trial, psychiatrist Reginald Medlicott and Francis Bennett testified that the girls had a belief in a fourth world paradise, um, so they apparently had this fantasy land where they knew a bunch of, like, famous and worldly people, um... Okay. So, but they're, like, a bunch of teenage girls, so I'm, like, not totally sure if it's, like, an actual, like, fantasy world or if it's just, like, that kind of, like, if we lived and we knew these people, this is what would happen. Yeah, like, general, casual fantasy. Yeah, like, like a 
the kind of things that you would have as a teenager. Yeah. You know, wanting to be with, like, famous people. Like, I constantly was, like, like, imagining situations where I was, like, hanging out with, like, a character from, like, a TV show yeah. that I watched. Like, so it's hard to say whether or not that's, like, accurate. Um, uh, they believe that the decision... So the girls believe that the decision to murder Honor Reaper was morally right. So they thought it was, like, the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, the psychiatrist also claimed that the girls were paranoid and held delusions of grandeur and ecstasy. Um, and I've never heard the phrase delusions of ecstasy before. Yeah, I'm about to say, well, that's a strange way to put it. Um, but I guess it's kind of like this, this, like, that kind of, like, manic, everything is amazing kind of feeling. This amazing sense of, like, relief and, like, sort of pleasure that Um, they did this or it had been done or whatever so the psychiatrist said that the friend their friendship together was toxic and fed into each other's mental illness um so basically like they were saying that kind of like on their own they were like they had like kind of like these fantasies or whatever yeah but putting them together made it worse they just like fed each other's fantasies and it kind of um became this like obsessive friendship just more wood on the fire essentially they inhibit inhibited each other so mm, do i get into it okay i don't think i actually wrote it down but their friendship was super obsessive apparently um and like and perry like, admitted later that it was, like, a really bad friendship, um, and that, like, she did a lot of what she did because she felt like she owed her friend and, like, stuff like that. Um, so in the end, they were sentenced and convicted for murder. Um, they each served about five, five and a half years in prison, um, but they were, like, in adult prison. Oh, they were, really? Yeah. Um, with the condition that they could not stay in the same prison and that they had no contact. And so that was, like, the big issue was that they couldn't be in the same prison. Yeah. So there was, like, no child... Like, there weren't, like, a lot of child prisons Juvenile. like, New Zealand. Yeah. Or, like, I guess in that jurisdiction. Yep. So, um, like, they ended up being sent to uh, two different like, adult, um, prisons. Yeah. And so, Juliet was actually, um, she was at Mount, she was sent to Mount Eden Prison, where she was the first minor inmate that was in prison there. Yeah. So, she was literally the youngest person Who'd ever been there. Yeah. Um, she spent the first three months in solitary where she ended up repenting and accepting her guilt so three months in solitary my god yeah so basically once she was separated from pauline she basically kind of like realized what she did and how wrong it was and so she got she felt super guilty um when juliet was released in 1959 she changed her name to Anne perry and moved back to the uk 
In the following years, Perry would become a devout Mormon mm. and began her writing career. What's interesting was before the murders, she, um, she held a certain contempt for the Bible. Yeah. Um, at least that's what the psychiatrist said. Yeah. Um, that both of them had like a contempt for the Bible, but then after prison, she became a devout Mormon, which is kind of like other end of the spectrum. Definitely. So, um, but I know that happens to a lot of people in prison. Yeah. It's just like something about having to be in there on your, essentially you're, you're with other people, but essentially you're there alone. So you have to find some other way to sort of get through it. And, like, it's usually really terrible conditions where you're often being exploited. Yeah. So, like, it's not like, like, you need something to get you through it. Because there are, like, a lot of attempted suicides in prisons. That's why they take away shoelaces. Yeah, and basically anything they think you can harm yourself or someone else with. Um, but anyways. Um, people were still transfixed by the case... Though, and in 1994, a movie based on it was released called Heavenly Creatures. So this is a pretty... It was a pretty famous movie when it came out. Oh, okay. Um, the movie explored the theory that Pauline and Juliet had a sexual relationship. Um, so it was... So, like, it was, like, really famous because it was, like, one of those, like teen lesbians doing bad things kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like wild things. Yeah. Esque. Um, after the movie was released, a journalist discovered Anne Perry's identity and revealed it. Um, so she doesn't talk about the case very much as she worked hard to create a new life for herself and her yeah. family. Um, she did, however, refute the theory that she was a lesbian with Pauline because she says we weren't, we were never lesbians, which I think is a very interesting way to phrase it. Yeah, we were never lesbians. Because it's like, well, you don't have to be like lesbian. Yeah. To, but at the same time, I think it is kind of like homomizic in a way mm-hmm. to be like, oh, like they were so wrapped up in each other um, that it led them to murder, so they must be lesbians. Yeah, because the thing is, you don't need to be romantically involved with someone in general, but someone of, like, same sex or whatever to be just in a toxic relationship. Yeah, and, like, I think there is something to be said about obsessive and toxic friendships, and how often they do actually happen. There are a lot of those, like, we'll get into later, actually. Yeah. Um, she did agree that the relationship was obsessive, though. Um, so it's, like, she admits, like, she was obsessed with her, um, and, like, all of that stuff, but it wasn't, like, a sexual thing. Yep. And, like, I, I definitely believe it. Um, she was never consulted regarding the film Heavenly Creatures, which kind of sucks, um, but she did agree to, uh, be interviewed for an unauthorized biography called, uh, The Search for Anne Perry, written by Joanne Drayton, which attempts to challenge the perceptions, Mm -hmm. the perceptions of Perry. Um, 
What I thought was really interesting as well was that um, on Anne Perry's website, she doesn't mention any of it in her bio. She just kind of talks about being sick as a kid and moving around a lot. Yeah. And um, how she missed a lot of school. Just kind of (laughs) dancing around that sort of (coughs) portion of her life. And I can, yes, she did a horrible thing, but I can definitely understand why she did that. Yeah, and, like, so the reason why I didn't want to, like, separate their name, like, her names um, while I'm telling this story is because, like, I don't believe things that you do in, like, a toxic and probably abusive relationship as a kid should reflect on who you are as an adult after you've, like, tried to make amends. Like, she did, like, serve time and, like... She, like... Acknowledged. Yeah, she acknowledged what she did was wrong. And, like, she she lived with that guilt. And, like... The thing is, it's... Considering that she was able to, you know, sort of realize that, yeah, the what I thought was the best friendship was not a healthy thing. Because some people never really get away from that. They just get so wrapped up in it because they're never separated from it. And even when, even when they are, they just latch on to it, like, latch onto it still anyway. So, in hindsight, it's a good thing that, you know, separating them, I guess, in a way, broke the magic spell. You know, she was able to look more clearly at what they had done mm-hmm. and how she needed to make amends for it and to move on with her life. And it did not involve rejoining with that person who was oh so toxic in her life yeah um pauline parker ended up um also changing her identity um and she moved to auckland new zealand um because i believe like that's was near her prison um but then because she was released on a conditional uh, on the condition that like she doesn't leave the country and stuff like that um, for a certain amount of years. Once she reached the end of that condition, she left the country and basically, um, disappeared knows where she went. Into the wind? Yeah. But, um, I think that's pretty similar to what Anne Perry did, and I wouldn't be surprised if she, um, you know, continued on to have a relatively uneventful life. Well, I mean, she made it pretty clear that that's what she wanted to do. Like, to, for not, like, to forget to make everyone else forget and just to move on with her life. Because like you said, like, the things that you do in your youth aren't reflective of the person you are as an adult. Like, you may think that, like, when you're, say, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, 16 years old or whatever it is, like, that sort of, like, sweet spot where you may do something really, really great or really, really amazing, it's going to be exactly who you are, like, 10 years down the line. It probably isn't, and if it is, that might be an issue depending on what what that thing is. Yeah. So, and that's why we try people under the age of, what, 18 differently than we do adults. But it seemed like they were tried as adults. Yeah, but there's a reason why why we do it. Mm -hmm. It's because most societies believe that under a certain age, you're not quite, your mind hasn't quite developed yet to the point where you 
not necessarily are conscious of the things that you're doing, but you might not always understand the weight of the things that you're doing. And so you still have time to sort of, not necessarily make up for it, but to change and learn from it. Usually that's the case, but sometimes we get bad eggs and they don't, they don't. Clearly we've talked about people like that Mm -hmm. on our own podcast where they still grew up to be shitty people (laughs) anyway. But some of them, you know, they were, they had perfectly fine childhoods and like, and like some of them, like the victims might've done something bad in their childhood, but that didn't mean they were bad. Yeah. In their... That's true. The reverse case could be could be true just because you were bad when you're young doesn't mean you, you're gonna be that you turn out bad just you're gonna be turn out good. Like it's just people are too complex to say it's gonna go one way or the other. I think is the general gist of it. And like this is not a super good comparison, but I think you know you and I have known people who have been what could be classified as, say, toxic or obsessive friendships where someone is obsessed with the person they're hanging out with. They're always at that person's beck and call. They're always talking about that person. They're always with that person. Like, that person kind of becomes their everything. And obviously they didn't murder anybody, but, like, you know, you can see it in little ways. Yeah, and, like, I've even been in those kind of toxic, obsessive friendships and they did like lead me down like a really bad path where I felt like like I had to be grateful that they even paid attention to me and like that nobody else would ever treat me like would ever give me the attention that they gave me and so I put up with a lot of things that I didn't want to because you know like I was in that weird obsessive state where I was like, but they're not really that bad. Yeah. Like, you're just like, you're like, but like, you're glamored by them. You're just like, oh, they're so cool. They're so this, they're so that. Yeah, they kind of treat me shittily, but like, they go to the coolest hangouts or like, because I hang out with them, everyone views me differently now. And like, when we're together, like, I get this kind of high, like, it's, Obsessive relationships take many, many different forms. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer. <laughs> <sighs> Got another bummer. Um, really? This episode about writers who kill is going to be a bummer? Oh, maybe, maybe, he, maybe, maybe they killed cancer, okay? <laughs> maybe they did something. I know. What writer would kill cancer? <laughs> What are writers doing in med school? Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so this person is J.J. Paulson. John James Paulson. I say that very slowly as I get that out properly. Uh, born November 23rd, 1959. He wrote um, for sh- shows such as The Cosby Show, In Living Color, and Grace Under Fire. I found that kind of funny because, like, mainly because he's white and I'm like two of those shows are like very black (laughs) I was not expecting that yeah in loving color the Cosby show oh like no no there's a theme here no this dude is very white he's very very white um 
<laughs> so I, I thought I'd get that out of the way. And also, I know it felt weird mentioning the Cosby show considering today's climate. With Anyway, so he's born in New York. So what happened? This one's not going to be too long because um, there isn't a whole lot of information on it. But it's still, I think, worth mentioning because what the fuck? Um, so what had happened? He had murdered his wife, Leanne Sereno Paulson, in spring of 2007. Um, so the thing with this is that him and his wife had a, a history in terms of domestic violence. His wife had called the cops on him at least twice from what I could from what I could find. So they are definitely in a very toxic relationship. Um, and he just kept being shitty. Like, as shitty men do. Anyway, um, so people said that, uh, they were having financial issues, um, a lot of trouble, and, uh, they weren't getting along. Apparently, they both were alcoholics and, you know, had drinking problems, and this is kind of relevant to what I'm about to say next. Um, well, not next, next, but in the foreseeable future is, um, that... So on April 2007, Leanne was found in the attic of their upscale home in Carmel, Carmel, Indianapolis. Um, their 16-month-old son was found crying in his crib alone. JJ was out walking his dog when the police arrested, uh, arrested him. Uh, so one of the things about this is that when they found her, it was clear that it had been well over a week or two since she had died. Most of her body had already uh, mummified wow. by this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when they when they arrested him, JJ said that he had suffered like a, a to- total breakdown upon murdering his wife. Um, when he killed her, he told relatives that she'd gone to, um, an alcohol re- rehabilitation, rehabili- rehabilitation program in California. So that's sort of like, oh, you know, she's got a drinking problem. She's gone away to fix those issues. Cause clearly my wife's not the problem, not me. Um, which is, 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 it's annoying. Honestly, I'm, like, stressed out by these sort of things. Where, like, people say, oh, I was so distressed. Like, I, I did this thing. I was so distressed. But then keep on going about their normal lives. Mm-hmm. Like, un- basically unaffected by it. Yeah, like, it's not like he had a breakdown in the sense that, like, he was, like, so distraught by what he'd done. He, like, had it to was turn like himself. It like, he... Like, it... It, it's confusing to me because it's like the only distress you seem to have is over getting caught. Yeah. Like you're just trying to cover your tracks and you're just trying to like pretend it didn't happen. You're like, oh no. Like, I murdered my wife. And the fact that you kept your wife in your attic for at least a week or two says a lot about me. Like if you were so distraught by this crime of passion which is what it was classified as. Like, um, it was classified as a charge with, um, voluntary manslaughter, I think it is. Or is it involuntary manslaughter? No, voluntary. No, voluntary. voluntary. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
voluntary manslaughter it was like a crime of passion like he didn't mean to do it like he's like well we're both we're both alcoholics we're having all these sort of pressures and problems that kind of just like happened sort of thing um he was also charged with abandonment and viol- his violation of his probation because obviously he'd been in pro- trouble with the law before a with beating his 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 wife and what really freaking sucks about this thing other than the murder i guess this is like number two or three it's on the list of five is that he got 26 years but was released early on september 12 2016 after murdering his wife less than 10 years prior to that i'm i'm not happy with this information yeah i had to like i was going to different sources i'm like this can't be right and every, every source i went to it's like and he was released like early and i'm like what like no no this can't be right goes next source he was released early and i'm like It's very, very stressful. And there was, I found another site that was sort of almost like glorifying him in a sense where it's like, what's his favorite color? Is he straight? Like, what's, like, where can we find him now? Like. That's so creepy. It it is. And like, we can't say that we're not curious about these things because obviously our podcast is about this sort of stuff. But to sort of. We're not like, what's their favorite color? Yeah. like, it's like. This is a horrible thing that they did, and this is the consequences. Yep, that it had. And you're like, he's my favorite celebrity. Like it's 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 it, it's wild to me. Um, like the other case, which I'm really surprised about. There wasn't a lot a lot of information about this. Like I'm from what I didn't get to dive too deeply into it, but I'm not too sure as to once again his history. Her history, unfortunately, I wish there was a lot more information on her. Um, and once again, another man taking a woman's life and also like taking a mother away from a child, like a baby. Like, why? Why are why are men so awful? <laughs> I'm just looking at your face. I. I wish I had answers for you. They're just, they're just bad. Yeah, I, I don't really have much else to say that is, is, that is specific to this case because they're both kind of the same, to be honest. They are very similar. And like, initially when I had suggested this topic, I was like, oh, it would be kind of fun, quote unquote to like find authors who like maybe like wrote about murders and then did a murder but then like that's that was not the case i'm gonna look up the one that i thought you were gonna do and i'm just gonna give like a quick rundown okay because i don't think there's that much information either okay so um nancy crampton brophy was the person that i thought you were gonna do okay um so she the reason why I thought, um, like, you were going to do this one was because I've, it's been all over the news because it happened um, kind of, like, just last month. Oh, wow. That is really, really recent. Um, so, like, uh, she once... She's a self-published romance suspense writer. 
Interesting. And she once wrote an essay called How to Murder Your Husband. Okay. Um, so she had published the piece in 2011 on the website C. Jane Publish, um, according to the Oregonian or slash Oregon Live. <laughs> okay. Citing. Um, she's also written titles such as The Wrong Husband, a 2015 novel about a woman who escapes an abusive spouse during a shipwreck in the Mediterranean and falls in love with one of the men sent to find her. Uh, so she was arrested. This is last week, but this was in September. Yeah. So she was arrested in like the beginning of September. Um, on a preliminary charge of domestic violence murder and the death of her husband of 27 years, wow. Daniel Brophy, at the Oregon Culinary Institute early on June 2nd. Oh, he was a chef. Okay, I was like, <laughs> what, were, what were they doing there? Um, he was a well-liked instructor there, and the killing baffled many. Um, she announced the death of her husband on Facebook. I'm basically just reading yeah. a Globe and Mail article about it. Yeah. Um, so she announced the death of her husband on Facebook a day after the killing, saying she was struggling to make sense of everything right now. Did you do her 2011 essay? So the one, uh, about how to murder your yeah. husband discussed several potential motivations for wanting to kill a spouse, including infidelity, abuse, or greed. Yeah. Divorce is expensive. And do you really want to split your possessions? She wrote in a section about financial motives. Uh, I find it easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them, she wrote. I don't want to worry about blood and brain splattered on my walls, and really, I'm not good at remembering lies. But the thing I know about murder is that what every one of us have it in him slash her when pushed far enough. Uh, the post is no longer public, but archived versions are available online. Um. Wow. Yeah, there isn't, like, a ton of information. It, like, doesn't really even go into, like, the actual murder. I wonder um, how these cases... Honestly, the kind of cases that we talk about, I'm like, wow, there's just so much. Like, there must be tons of information on this thing. And then there isn't. Well, stuff like like that one it's like so new well yeah that one by I me mean, like it's happened before where i've been like oh there's not this much information on this particular thing or that particular thing when to me it seems like everything's a big deal to be honest so there should be more information on it yeah but it's like people report it's like we talked about with Kristen nadel yeah like um at the beginning everybody you know starts writing about it when there isn't that much information but then it kind of slips under the radar as other things happen. And then... And then there's no follow-up, and people don't really ask any more questions. Yeah. So. It just dies down. That's true. Good recall. Back to our previous episode. I'm good at that. <laughs> I'm only good at rec recalling the things I say every episode. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. It never is, is it? No. We're always like, 
You know it's going to be a really fun topic? <laughs> this are really gruesome type of murder. And we're like, yeah. And then we start researching and then it's like, oh my god. This is horrible. This is the opposite of fun. What were we thinking? This just reminds me how terrible people are. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that we, we host this podcast where we talk about terrible things, but we're both so very empathetic. Like, people were just like, all the feelings... I feel so much all the time. It's it's definitely it was a weird decision <laughs> to make. I don't know. It made sense at the time. In theory it made sense. And like I do enjoy making the podcast and like I always get excited to do the next episode, but then it's just like doing the research and the recording. I'm like, oh my god. I hate all of this. I hate all of this information. I hate that this is happening. Yeah. That this happened, that this exists. Yeah. It's like we're intentionally exposing ourselves and other people to the evils and the garbage of the world all the time. Like we're digging it up all the time. And it's draining. But, you know, like even though we say we hate it, like, we don't want to not do this, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah, well, because you're you're in the same boat as me. (laughs) You're in the exact same boat. Do you want to talk about, um, uh, the new things we have going on for us? Oh. This app as well? So, we, yes, we have recently made a Patreon. So if you would like to contribute or become a patron, um, we'll, le- we'll leave the link in the description or the show notes. Um, we don't have too much information right now because we are recording this way ahead of schedule and um, we haven't set it up right this second. We're going to do it after. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the major thing. Um, and don't forget to follow us on yeah. our social medias. We forget to plug our, our social medias a lot of the time, so it's it's, it's better to get to have it of doing that. Um, follow the Twitter at SixSadWorldSSW. Um, I post a lot of updates. Yes, you're very active. I post poll questions, and I ask for, like, things, and, and I really want to talk people on the Twitters. You I'm, do. I'm just getting the hang of it. Mari's very social. You'll have a great conversation with them. So, like, definitely reach out on Twitter. Not that you can't reach out to our Instagram, which is also Six Sad World, but you're more likely to get more of a laugh and <laughs> a much faster response <laughs> if you if you go to our Twitter. But Instagram, totally valid. I mean, we wouldn't have had our wonderful episode. Our Kristen Natal episode, Nadell episode, and it just happened to be a random comment on one of our Instagram photos. So, I mean, like, that is also a way to get to us. But Twitter is faster. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on my phone a lot. And I'm bored a lot. (laughs) So, please tweet at me. It'll be fun. Yeah, and as we always say, like, like, anything you have to say, any sort of suggestions for episodes... Um, thoughts, concerns, feelings, fan art, fan art. If you, if you want it, if that's your thing. 
fan fiction. I don't know. Oh my god, please. <laughs> whatever, whatever sort of thing like hits your noggin, you know. Hits Seriously. Your noggin. You know what? <laughs> I'm sick and tired. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just add like, like added in like the sound of a door slamming and like me walking away. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, we're really as we as we try to always we always we don't always do is we try to get you guys more involved and like get to know us more because we really want to to get to know you guys as well. The only way we can do that is if you guys talk to us. So you should do that. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't think I have any more thoughts, feelings, or concerns about what we talked about today i think i'm about done with that nastiness yeah i was like really tired before but now i'm tired and bummed out yeah all right i think i'm good to go yeah i think we're gonna sign off now so as we always say don't be a murderer and we'll see you guys next time